and welcome to Episode 4 of Confessions of an Agile Activist. I'd like to apologize to my listeners for not making an episode for the past three weeks. I had foreign visitors in town, and they kept me pretty busy. We had a fantastic time together. I love showing people around Krakow. So anyway, my original plan was that Episode 4 would be an episode about writing and negotiating Agile contracts and the various kinds of Agile contracts that are available to you. But instead, I had a fantastic conversation with a prospective client this past week, which I've recorded. I thought that a good way to wrap up the three-part series on selling Agile would be a Walk the Talk episode. What I'm going to share with you today are excerpts from that conversation. And so, what you're going to hear is how I actually sold Agile Software Services in a real-time, real-life conversation with an honest-to-goodness prospective client who called me one day last week and started asking me questions about how we work and why they should work with me and my team. So without further delay, let's get started. My first question would be, why are you building anything at all? There's so <laughs> many good storefronts out there. Just buy one or grab yourself a, a development company that's got a generic one and, and just pay them to do some minor customization for you. Don't build something from the ground up. What I usually do, the first thing I do with a new client is I try to talk them out of building a software product. I hate software. <laughs> there's enough of it out there. Most of it is really poorly done. And anything that they could possibly do using software that's out of the box, that's got millions of users and has been around for decades um, or even years, is going to be more stable and better tested than anything that they're going to get from any custom software firm, including my own. So if they can find a way to adapt their business model slightly in order to utilize something off the shelf, they're better off doing that and putting their money into to marketing and optimizing their business processes rather than building new software. If they really do have a unique idea, if they want to do something that's, that's truly never been done before, or they want to make a change to a product that's so fundamental that it really requires re-engineering the product, then... What I do is first I try to find out why they're doing it in the first place. I don't think that, you know, one of the beautiful things about, about leading a software development team is everybody who works here is intelligent. It's not like many of the other jobs that I've had in the past. There's, there's <laughs> not a single person here who doesn't have an advanced uh, university degree, and they're all very clever people. And that cleverness can apply itself in many areas outside of coding. Uh, what that means is that a software developer can understand the restaurant business. They can understand a service industry. They can understand a manufacturing industry, not as well as, as the client themselves, but they can get on board with the vision. And mm -hmm. if you do that, if, if you get the development team on board with the vision so that they understand the customer's point of view, why there's a need for this software, who the users are going to be, how they're going to use it, and, and what the business model is, then the developers can make better, more intuitive decisions as they go because you can't possibly codify, even if you tried, absolutely every decision that has to be taken. And it also means that you get their brains involved in coming up with better ways to go about doing things so they can make better suggestions for improvements. So the first thing that I start out with is, is just trying to get the vision down. I want to understand myself why companies and business and who its clients are and what its business model is. And then I help to communicate that to the development team once we've identified who the appropriate people are to work on it. The next thing that I do is I avoid big upfront 
design decisions. I'm not a fan of documentation. I did the, the traditional software development thing. And what I found is you can spend a third of a product's enti project's entire budget writing detailed specifications for something that's not actually what you're going to build. Because the moment you start, the only way you can build a product to spec is if you close the developers off from the outside world and don't let them speak to anybody until they finish. If you're committed to letting the developers talk to the customer or letting the customer speak to you and change their mind and, and, and express different points of view, and heaven forbid if you allow the customer to see the work in progress, they're going to have different and better ideas about the direction development should go, features that should be added, they'll have their priorities will change. And so all of the time spent on detailed documentation is largely wasted because to date, ever since I've come out to Poland and started doing agile software development, I have never built the product that a customer asked me to. I've always ended up building what they what they needed. Um, <laughs> well, before this, we did uh, software development for and they were fans of big upfront design. They would come to us with enormous specifications. And we really did the classic thing in which the project manager's role was to track costs until they got out of control and then find someone to blame other than themselves. <laughs> and, and I was really unhappy with that. I didn't like that role. Um, my interactions with a customer often would would be, you know, at the start of the project, it's, okay, we're on track, we're on track. And by, by on track, I meant the budget is on track. Half of the way into the project, the budget's on track. The budget's getting slipping a little bit, but we'll be able to recover it by cutting out QA at the end or something. <laughs> and and then <coughs> listen, and basically relaying what the developers were saying, which is, oh, we're 80% done, we're 90% done. And then when, when delivery time came around, yeah, but there's a little problem that it won't compile. Or, um, yeah, my part's done and his part's done, but we haven't integrated the two. And the moment you do the integration, of course, you have, have huge integration issues or what have you. <laughs> and so when I came out to Poland, I decided to do things differently, and that's when I embraced Agile. What I do now is first after I figure out what the project is, then I do a very high-level Feature breakdown, very, very high level. So for a shop, I might, for what you've just described, I might break it down into just four or five major groups. There would be in the administration section. There would be a CRM because you've got a lot of data to manage about different things. Um, there would be the payment section, and there would be the classic storefront, which is after you fetched all of the information about the person wants, how do you present them to them in a shopping cart type manner and, and allow them to get from their, to make their decisions and then take them into the payment section. And then for each of those, we'll just brainstorm with the client all of the features that such a thing might have, but we don't document them in detail. I use what's known as user stories, which are just one sentence descriptions of a feature. Mm -hmm. So for example, a user story, and the format that I like is is I define the role, what they're able to do, and why they're trying to do it. So a user story might be a registered member is able to reset their password in order to access the system if they've forgotten their password. You notice there's a lot of things that are not here, like where is that button to do it? Is right. the password emailed to the user? Is it... 
does it take them to a different screen? Is there is, is what are the what is the error message if something goes wrong? All of those details that would be in a standard specification, we're not worried about right now. And so in this way, I build up what we call a, a product backlog, which is just a list of all of the general features that a product might have. It won't necessarily have them, and this is a flexible list throughout the life of the product. Things can be added to it as uh, the, the client gets new ideas and says, wouldn't it be cool if we could incorporate some wiki functionality where people could comment about um, after they've tried them, something like that. So we'll just add it mm -hmm. to the list. And then we develop the product in time box iterations, which is very different than the standard um, idea of an iteration, which is more akin to a phase. In a time box iteration, we say, okay, this iteration is 10 days long. It ends at 5 o'clock on Friday. And we're going to be working on these 20 features. Now, in a standard approach, if at 5 o'clock on Friday, 18 of those features were done, we'd call the client and we'd say, you know, we didn't get these two features done. We're going to have to extend the deadline. It looks like two days and then two days maybe um, 19 and a half features would be done, but we'd have some trouble with one. We'd ask the client for a one-day extension of the deadline. In this case, what we do is we say the deadline is 5 o'clock on Friday, and we're going to deliver fix, uh, fully, fully working, tested, deployable code. And if we don't finish, we don't finish. But there will be 18 features working at 5 o'clock on Friday. And by developing the features in concert with the client, so instead of uh, documenting the feature in a great deal of, of detail, when a user, when, 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 I'm sorry, when a developer takes a feature and says, okay, this password reminder feature, I'm going to do that, they start by talking to the customer. Hello, my name is, is, is uh, Pavel, I'm going to be a programmer for the day, and I'm about to do this, this password reminder feature. And what I suggest is that it works this way. And they ask questions um, of the client to make sure that they understand it, and then they do it. So it's, it's kind of like a just-in-time information flow. You're not trying to generate detailed information months or weeks before anyone's going to need it, and you're not sharing information about how to implement this feature with anybody who doesn't care, like the programmer sitting next to the guy who's actually doing it. Um, and then as soon as they're done, first they, they, they write unit tests to define how the parts of the feature are going to work. Then they code the feature to pass the unit tests. Then they hand it off. Then they, t they notify QA that the feature is completed. QA makes sure the feature works properly, and, and if there's any bugs, they, they fix them immediately while the code for that feature is still fresh in the developer's mind. QA will also integration test and make sure that any of the other features that might be touched by the new feature haven't been broken in the process. And then they hand it off to the, to the client and say, I finished this feature. Check and make sure it works the way you want it to. If it doesn't, tell me. I'll fix it right away. And so the end result is that at, at 5 o'clock on Friday, every, because we've been implementing features in order and testing as we go, what we've got done by then is fully tested and deployable. So you could use the application, for example. And it's not uncommon. In fact, it just happened to me last week that a project that, had, that was not finished, it has a backlog that still has 75-odd features that the client wants on it, is being publicly deployed a month early because they realized that at, at the end of the iteration that ended on Friday, 
that the feature set was complete enough to add enough value to make it worth their while to go ahead and deploy it. So projects actually get done early. It's not, actually it's not uncommon either for um, a client to decide after 80% of the features are implemented, since we implement them in the order of priority, starting with what's most important and offers most business value, and we take the things that are the lowest priority and put them at the end, that before the, the project is finished, the client will say, you know what, I'm happy. I, this other stuff that we talked about at the beginning may be sticking in. I really don't need it. This, this is enough. We can just stop right now. <laughs> and at this point, the conversation moved into financial and contract matters. Well, I, from a financial standpoint, I keep things very simple. I've got a one-page contract. I became a big fan of one-page contracts when I was doing business development in South Africa. It's a one-page contract that basically says that these are our rates, and if you're unhappy, you can leave. Moment's notice. Um, there's, there's, there's no ties, no strings attached. The, the only legal mumbo-jumbo in there is, is stuff like, we won't steal your customers, you won't steal our, our employees type of thing. But I think it's only got 13 points. So it's very straightforward. We work in short iterations. And since you've got deployable software at the end of any iteration, the customer can walk away without the, the code being held hostage. Because, you know, with, with a lot of software companies, when the whole project is 90% done but nothing works, the cost of change is enormously high. And so the the client can think, you know, I hate these guys and, and it's over budget, but it would take months for somebody else to dig through and figure out where this thing stands. So I try to make it simultaneously very easy for my customers to walk away and too delightful for them to want to. So that's it. Uh, we talked for almost another hour about everything from the weather to travel to the pros and cons of different technologies and the competencies of my team. But that in a nutshell, what you've just heard is how I went about successfully selling the idea of agile software development processes. I do this two or three times a week with various prospective customers, and it's a delightful experience for me. It's often an interesting and enlightening experience for my prospects. The end result is that I keep a team of 20 developers happily employed here in Poland, and if it works for me, then, then I'm, sh I'm sure that there's aspects of what I do that can work for you. If you disagree, if you've got better ideas, if you think that there's a better approach, or if there's something that you'd like me to elaborate on more, please keep the emails coming. And now that finally concludes what is now the four-part series on selling Agile. I'm not going to harp on this anymore. From now on, I'm going to be talking about Agile processes and, and other practices. I'll start next week with an episode on Agile contracts, and then we'll get into the discussion of the actual production process of Agile software projects. So thank you very much for listening. Keep the emails coming. I love hearing from my listeners, and keep it limber. <laughs>